Thank you so much. Thank you, uh, Pastor Paul, for inviting me to speak. And thank you, Emma, for doing the PowerPoint and worship team. Thank you. That was great. And Joel, thank you. That was wonderful. Appreciate your communion this morning. Yeah, give him a round of applause. Good stuff. <clears throat> this morning, I want to continue our theme of the church. The veteran rock star Mick Jagger said this, Jesus Christ was fantastic but I don't like the church. The church does more harm than good. Actor and model Jane Fonda said, I'm a Christian. I study the teachings of Jesus, which are that we have to overcome differences, we have to forgive. I was particularly drawn to black churches when I lived in Atlanta, but now I don't go to church. A churchgoer wrote this letter to the editor of a newspaper and complained that it made no sense to go to church every Sunday. I've gone for 30 years now, he wrote, and in all that time, I heard something like 3,000 sermons. But for the life of me, I can't remember a single one of them. So I think I'm wasting my time, and the pastors are wasting theirs by giving sermons at all. And this started a real controversy and in the letters to the editor's column. And it went on for weeks until someone wrote this. I've been married for 30 years now. In that time, my wife has cooked some 32,000 meals. However, for the life of me, I can't recall the entire menu of one single of those meals. But I do know this. They all nourished me and gave me the strength I needed to do my work. If my wife had not given me those meals, I would be physically dead now. Likewise, if I'd not gone to church for spiritual nourishment, I would be spiritually dead today. So is it possible to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, and not go to church? Anyway, what does going to church mean? What is church? Abraham Lincoln said this, If all the people who fell asleep in church on Sunday morning were laid out end to end, they would be a lot more comfortable. <laughs> I want to begin by hopefully dispelling some misunderstandings of what church is about. Some people think it's church services. A family was visiting an old stone church, and it looked a bit like this, I guess, and the guide was wandering around, and he pointed to a plaque on the wall, and he said... And he was talking about the world wars. And he said, um, these are the names of the people that died in the services. And the young boy spoke up and said, pardon me, sir, did they die in the morning service or the evening service? <laughs> some people think of the church as a job, that it's for some people their work, like pastors and youth pastors and bishops and priests and ministers and elders or deacons. And there was an advert in the church press that said this, are you aged 45 and going nowhere? Why not consider Christian ministry? Some people think of church as a denomination. On hearing the word church, they think of something you're born into, the Anglican or the Catholic or the Baptist or the Presbyterian or the AOG or the Elim or the um, Church Unlimited. Other people think of buildings. As a pastor, people used to go on holiday and they'd send me pictures of church buildings. What? Do you think I'm really interested? The Bible has various different pictures of what a church 
is. And this morning I want to look at five. And the first one is that we are the people of God. Some people think that the people of God just began in the New Testament because Peter said this in 1 Peter 2. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. But actually, God has always wanted a special people. In fact, when God spoke to Moses as he invited him to be part of the plan of bringing the people out of Egypt, he said this, And I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. It's such a wonderful privilege to be part of the people of God. God never envisioned isolated Christians. You see, we have a relationship with God, but we have a relationship with other people. It's the picture of the cross. Many years ago, I was looking at Nicodemus and his talk with Jesus. And Jesus said to Nicodemus this, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert... So the Son of Man must be lifted up, and everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And I just felt the Lord say to me, but Jesus didn't die on a pole. What happened in the Old Testament was this. The people were grumbling about God and complaining. And so God sent in snakes and bit the people, and they were dying. And they came to Moses and said, plead on our behalf. And so Moses talked to God, and God said, put a bronze serpent on a pole, high up. And anybody who looks at that can live. And the people who did look at that were healed. And their relationship with God in the vertical was restored. But Jesus did something far greater. He died on a cross. And when he died on the cross, the upright restored our relationship with God. But the crossbeam restored our relation one with another. He took your hand and he took my hand and he brought us together at the cross. Isn't that wonderful? We are brought together as the people of God. We're part of the community that God has called together right from the beginning of time, right through Abraham and the people of Israel, right until today. Everybody who puts their trust and faith in Jesus Christ is part of the family of God. Isn't that terrific? Well, one or two of you think so. We become a member of the church of God, not by birth, but by new birth. Jesus spoke about being born of the water and the spirit. Jesus was baptized and he told his disciples to go and baptize. Becoming a Christian involves three things. First of all, it's something we do. It's repentance and faith. Secondly, it's something God does. He gives us the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, it's something the church does. We get baptized into Christ. The first two, God does for us. He forgives us and gives us the Holy Spirit. 
The third thing is our first step of obedience to God when we are baptized. And the Bible gives four pictures in the New Testament of the people of God. First of all, it's the universal church. As I said before, everybody throughout the history is part of that body. In Ephesians, Paul says this, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. We've just had communion. I love having communion, particularly in New Zealand, because we're, we start the trend across the world. Today, understand this, nearly estimated that over 2 billion people worldwide will have communion. You look around here and we're just a small group. But right across the world, there's over 2 million people who claim to be Christians. And 10,000 of Christians are people who are becoming Christian every day. Isn't that exciting? We are part of an amazing move of God right across the world. It's interesting. I've been to across Asia. And I went to a place called Indonesia. And I don't know if you know Indonesia. It's got the largest Muslim population in the world. And guess what? I went to a church and they have 25,000 people in the church. And they're in the middle of building a church for 45,000 people. And that's in the largest Muslim church, uh, country in the world. Hello? Are you awake? Are you excited? We live in amazing times. The Bible also talks about in um, 1 Corinthians 16, Paul talks about the church in a province, the church in Asia. In Galatians, he talks about the church in Galatia. So you've got the province church. But then for us, there are two main sizes. And the first one is a congregation like us. We meet here every Sunday, right? And we come for encouragement and fellowship. However, it's very easy to get lost in a crowd and sit through the service and then disappear without connecting with anybody else. That's why we try and emphasize the importance of coming out for morning kai, for fellowship after the service. And then the second one is life groups. We encourage you to be involved in a life group. We've got life groups right north, south, east, and west. And we encourage you to do that because that's where we build relationships and have greater encouragement. If you'd like to turn to Acts chapter 2, this to me is one of the most exciting passages of Acts. Because it gives us our, really our blueprint for what the church should be like. Verse 42. You can get out your phones and your iPads and whatever. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to everyone as they had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke together in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Did you notice? In the temple courts and from house to house. And that's why we have the life groups. 
and that's why we have Limitless Youth, so you can get together as well. You, every young person should be involved with Limitless Youth. And it, if you notice what Luke says, he says this, that's how the church grew. That's how the church grows. Bless you. Thank you. Thank you, Irene. I, do you know, Irene's an absolute blessing. She's an amazing blessing to us. She lives near us, which is a fantastic, eh? And I salute you and bless you. <clears throat> Hands up those who don't need encouragement. You don't need encouragement? You may leave. <laughs> but we, we all need encouragement, right? Just as Tartmana told us a couple of weeks ago. And that's why in Hebrews it says, don't give up meeting together. Get together. I heard of one young man who was really struggling. He'd come to faith in Christ. And he found himself drifting away in doubts and difficulties and losing his faith. He went to see a wise older man. He lived in a cottage where there was a coal fire. As they were discussing, the young man told the older man what was going on in his life. And the older man didn't say anything. But he went over to the fire and he took the tongs and he took out one of the burning red coals. And he put it on the hearth. And as the young man talked, he allowed the coal to go from red hot to grey to black. Then the older man got up. With his tongs, he put the coal back on the fire and it turned from black to shiny red. He didn't say anything. The young man left knowing exactly why his faith had gone grey and lost its fire. We need each other. The second picture I want to give you is the family of God. John 1 to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or a husband's will, but born of God. All Christians are part of God's family. And I love the picture that Jesus gave in Mark chapter 3. His mother and brothers were outside. He was having a meeting with some people. And he got the message, your mother and brothers are outside. And he stopped. And he looked around him and he said this, who are my mother and my brothers? And he looked at the, those seated in a circle around him and he said, here are my brother and my mother. You see, Jesus did have an earthly family. But he looked around and he included us in that family of his just before he went to the cross, in John 17, he prayed this. My prayer is not for them alone, that is, his disciples. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, that the world may believe that you've sent me. He prayed for his disciples, but he prayed for those that believe through their word. And hello, that includes you and me. Isn't that marvelous? Before he went to the cross, Jesus looked down through history, saw us, and prayed for us. John writes in his letter, 1 John 4, we love each other as a result of his loving us first. 
If someone says, I love God, but hates his Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God who we cannot see? And God himself has commanded that we love not only him, but our Christian brothers and sisters as well. What John is saying is this, is when we're in a relationship with Jesus, we are brothers and sisters together. You, can't, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. So look around. Have a look at your family. Do as you're told. Have a look around. See your family. I remember saying in one meeting, if you are a Christian or you've just become a Christian, isn't it wonderful? I am now your brother. And I am your brother until either of us die. And then the good news is this, even when we get to heaven, I am still your brother for eternity. And someone shouted out, I'm glad heaven is a big place. They obviously didn't want to spend too much time with me. Some of you know that Catherine and I have come from New Zealand, but we've uh, come from... (laughs) Start that one again. Some of you will know that we have recently shifted here from Auckland. In fact, we left England in 1990 to become as missionaries to New Zealand. In fact, we arrived in 1988 with three small children and five suitcases. And that was it. And then we lived eventually in Auckland for 24 years, and now we've come up here. When we left England, we left all our family in England. When we left Auckland, we left our family in Auckland and Taronga, and we are here only on our own. But you are our family, because you are the people of God, right? And you are our family, so whether you like it or not, tough. We're here, and we're part of your family, so watch out. (laughs) I've had a very privileged life, and in the last 12 years, I've been spending time around Asia and New Zealand and the Pacific Islands, and my job has involved primarily bringing together church leaders of different denominations, and many of them have never met before. And the thing that's thrilled me is they've actually got to know each other and they've actually got to like each other. Strange, that, eh? And I shall never forget going to a place called Vanuatu. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's a little island in the Pacific Island, in the Pacific. And the capital is Port Vila. And it's pretty small. It can't be much bigger than Kai Tai, I wouldn't think. Anyway, we had a, a conference and there were about 50 people, I think about 30 men and 20 women. And I remember looking one afternoon... And there were these six men talking together. So I rushed up and said, are you all from the same church? And they said, no, we've never met before. And I saw some women, about half a dozen of them, talking together. I rushed up to them and said, are you all from the same church? And they said, no, we've never met before. Hello? You live in Port Villa and you've never met? Please don't forget... We are all part of the family of God. The third picture I want to give you is the body of Christ. 
there's a wonderful picture in Acts chapter 9. I love it. Saul of Tarsus is trying to wipe out Christianity in a one-man campaign. He's had success in Jerusalem. He's on his way to Damascus. And suddenly the horse, he's riding, and he falls off, and he's blind. And Jesus says to him, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Isn't it interesting? He didn't say, why are you persecuting the Christians? He said, why are you persecuting me? Because we are the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says this. And it's no wonder, I think. I think Paul was looking back and remembering. And he says this. God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So there should be no division in the body, but that his parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. Someone called Bishop Leslie Newbegin said this, Jesus Christ never wrote a book. What he did was leave behind a community, the church. Someone has said this, on earth today, Jesus has no hands but our hands, no feet but your feet, no heart of compassion but your heart of compassion, no voice except your voice. You see, everywhere you go, you are Jesus. In your family, in your neighborhood, in your school, in your work, in the shops. One Christian leader told this story. A man told him how he'd been contacted by somebody in great need. He expressed his frustration in trying to get help for this needy person. The man needed a place to stay, food, support, till he gets on his feet and looks for a job. I'm really frustrated. I tried calling the church office, but no one could see me, and they couldn't help me. I finally ended up having to let him stay with me for a week. Don't you think the church should take care of people like this? The leader thought for a moment and said, it looks like the church did. Because you're the church. Every time you feed the hungry, that's the church doing it. Every time you visit the sick or go to prison, that's the church. As a pastor, I have people come up to me in church and they say, the church should be doing this, X, Y, and Z. And I'd say, I absolutely agree. When are you going to start? We all need to get involved. So please don't be just a consumer, be a contributor. Don't be just a, be an attender, be a member. Paul writes this, 1 Corinthians 12, we are all part of the body. We all have different gifts and we need to use them. We all need each other. I can't do what you do. I need you as much as you need me. I had a friend who said he was the little toe. I said, what? He said, I bring balance. Ephesians 4, we're not to remain babies. We're to mature, each one of us. The leader's responsibility is to train others up 
to become mature. I remember saying in a previous church, as your pastor, I am not here to do the work. I am here to train you to do the work. You can imagine I was very popular. But remember this today. Remember this. As you go out those doors today, you are God let loose on the earth. Each one of you. And Paul says this in Ephesians. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in them all. When people criticize a church or a Christian leader and they come up to me, I reply, excuse me, but you're criticizing me. And they get all embarrassed and say, no, no, I wasn't talking about you. And I reply, but I'm the church. I'm part of the body of Christ. The fourth picture is a holy temple. And the temple always represents God's presence and God's power. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says this, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Our bodies, your body, my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So we need to be careful what we see, what we listen to. We need to be careful what we do with it. We shouldn't overeat or under-exercise or mistreat it with alcohol, non-prescribed drugs and illicit sex. Paul adds, chapter 2, Ephesians, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the prophets and apostles, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And in Peter 2, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by people, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are being built together into a temple of God. A friend of mine was a structural engineer, and he pointed out something to me that I'd never seen before. In the building of Solomon and David's temple, in 1 Kings chapter 6, we read this. In the building of the temple, only blocks dressed at the quarry were used, and no hammer, chisel, or any other iron tool was heard at the temple site while it was being built. In other words, they were being dealt with in the quarry. When the stone eventually arrived at the temple site, there were no banging or crashing. It was just lowered into a perfect position. And so the question is, how did that happen? And the answer is, they were all made exactly like the template. 
the same is happening with us. We are not in the temple yet, but we are being made like the template. Romans 8, 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. You and I are to become more and more like Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with every increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Isn't that fantastic? You and me together being made more and more like Jesus so that when we come together, we are the holy temple. And the last picture is the bride of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5, we read this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. I saw the holy city. This is the picture of the church. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I've had the immense privilege of officiating at many weddings. And the thing that never ceases to amaze me and excite me the most is how radiant the bride looks. Consequently, I ask myself the question, what makes a bride radiant? Is it the fact that she's had a shower? No, but it probably helps. Is it because her perfume precedes her? Probably not. Is it that she's had her hair made up especially creatively? No, but it probably helps. Is it because she's had her nails manicured and false nails applied? No, but it might help. Is it because she has a beautiful bouquet in her hand? No, but it helps. Is it because she's got a sparkling tiara on her head? No, but it probably helps. Is it because she's wearing a fabulous white dress? No, but it helps. Is it because she's got a broad smile? No, but it helps, especially rather than crying her eyes off. So if those help but are not the total answer, what is it that makes the bride radiant? I've come to the conclusion it's this. This, the anticipation of being with, living with, and loving her husband for the rest of her life, giving herself unreservedly to be loved by him unconditionally forever. How many of you young people want to get married now? Paul wrote this. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. As I look around the church in New Zealand and around the world today, I don't see a radiant church. She's blemishes, stains and wrinkles. I get so frustrated when I hear that yet another church has been established just around the corner from an existing one because of a dispute among the people. Jesus said we are one, but we don't act like it. So what will make the church radiant? What will make you and me radiant? When we stop being selfish and self-centered. When we stop 
criticizing those who are different from us. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. When we fall in love with Jesus, when the name of Jesus fills our hearts with joy and our eyes with tears, when we commit every ounce of our strength, every breath that we breathe, every moment we live, when he is our single focus, when we long to be with him forever and ever, then we will become radiant. Then the church will become radiant. And guess what? Jesus will return. And what will that look like? I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a beautiful bride, dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with people, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them for ever and ever. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things have passed away. I don't know about you, but I long for that day, to see my Savior and to be with him forever. So is it possible? To be a Christian and not go to church? The answer is we don't go to church. We are the church. The Spirit and the Bride say, come, and let those who hear come. Whoever's thirsty, let them come, and whoever wishes, let them take the free gift of the water of life. There's only one way into the church, and that's to say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And the moment they, we say that, God in his love says, you are part of my people. You are my family. You are my representative. You are my body on earth. You are my holy temple. My spirit lives within you. You are my bride. And I'm looking forward to coming to get you to be with me forever. Can you please all stand? The worship team, please come. Maybe you're here the first time. Maybe it's the first time you're here this morning. Or whether you've been here for ages. And you know that you're not part of the family of God. God is reaching out to you this morning. He's saying, I love you. I want you to have a brand new life. Today that can be the first day of the rest of your life. Totally new, totally fresh, totally blessed.